I think my favorite aspect of us transitioning from best ball and season long to DFS is that, you know, we can't, we can stop being so chummy and we don't got to be so friendly on this podcast anymore because we disagree more during DFS season than ever before. We got, we got to get some sparks flying in this podcast again. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I just have to hear your terrible DFS takes or who you're going to play or I should say who you're going to fade everybody on a weekly basis. I'm fading everybody, which this is week. you playing them. I'm which, fading them. Swear which is to just God. wrong. But I will say, week one, millionaire maker. I'm winning it. Marking marking my yeah words right here. I'm winning the million dollars this week. So what is that? Like four days from now, you're gonna have seven yeah, digits. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have seven digits in the DK balance. Okay, and then I'm banking everything else in week two. <laughs> and then I'll have like two and a half million dollars and we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. I like that trajectory. I like that ROI. Solid expectations. And then you retire. That That's the plan. See, you can't retire until you get the crown, the, the DK crowns. <laughs> I, I got about 9K of those right now, so I'm chilling. Oh, you rich, rich. <laughs> I'm stupid rich. Oh, my rich. God. Yo, that might be like a $5 contest ticket right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, solid five bucks. Dang, man. Spread the wealth. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, the DFS Dose, giving you a dose of DFS. Like DJ Khaled, we the best. Joey, come on. Come on, give it up. Let's go. Week one is here. We're talking DFS. I can barely contain my excitement for this week one slate and we're going to break it down from all angles we are switching up the format as longtime listeners of this show will recognize what we used to do just go position by position talk about the entire slate but rather than that we're going to be hyper focused on providing information that is both actionable and unique so from this point on weekly main slate preview episodes will be going down as follows first off we'll talk slate specifics secondly we'll be talking chalk after that cash game lineup constructions followed by tournament strategy finally our best bets of the week to close things out for those loyal listeners who stick around all the way until the end but before we get into any of that joey and before we get into this week one main slate tell the people how they can support the podcast I just want to applaud your intro on that first. That was beautiful. Okay. And uh, and I'm just as excited. And if you want to support us, you can follow us on Twitter at the DFS dose where we have a $50 giveaway currently going on. If you're listening to this to be entered into that, all you have to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel, the DFS dose and retweet the tweet. You can find that on our Twitter. It's our pin tweet. So if you're listening to this podcast, go and do that. It's a free $50 that you could potentially win. You can uh, subscribe or follow us on Apple podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, wherever you listen to your 
your podcast, we are there. So go ahead and subscribe and follow us on those specific platforms. And if you're feeling generous, you can leave a rating and a review on the DFS dose five stars only, of course. And then is there any anything else I'm missing, uh, Ben? Yeah, just real quick. Joey's uh, first solo video came out this week on the YouTube channel as he uh, originally plugged talking about tournament strategy for DraftKings week one. So you can check that out on the YouTube channel. My cash tears video will be out on Friday on the channel as well. So we've got a ton of stuff coming. And Joey, the giveaway that you mentioned, $50, uh, we'll be announcing the winner to that on Mm -hmm. our Monday podcast on September 14th as we recap all of the action from this week one slate talk about how successful we are brag about how Joey won the Millie etc etc and uh, we'll be giving away $50 on that show so make sure you listen and find out if you are that lucky person like he said retweet the tweet subscribe to us on YouTube. Yeah, and I mean, if you're a longtime listener, you would know that we did the recap episodes in our first season of the DFS Dose, and then, you know, we transitioned away from it last year, but we're bringing it back, which I'm excited for. And it's always interesting to talk about what happened in the DFS slate and if we, you know, won or lost all of our money. And like Ben said, you can catch those episodes every single Monday. Yeah, th- those are my favorite episodes to record because it's usually uh, a lot of savagery going on, a lot of a lot of good stuff. So th- <laughs> those are fun. Um, let's get right into it, though, Joey. Let- let's talk about it. This is what the people are here for. Week one, we're a DFS podcast, finally doing our first DFS-centered episode in so long. Can't wait to get into it and slate specifics. So week one is always an interesting slate. Mm-hmm. It's always different, uh, partially because the salaries come out like a month beforehand. And usually what that does is create very obvious misprices. Players will get hurt during preseason. Players' roles will become more defined and they'll be completely different from what you know we expected at the beginning of August when DraftKings releases their prices. And yes, listeners, uh, this is going to be a DraftKings-centric podcast. Some of the information will be applicable to FanDuel, but we'll pretty much be referring to DraftKings pricing and strategy throughout because that is is what Joey and I know best, and and I feel like that's what we can give the best information on. But uh, let's talk about this slate from a general perspective, and then we will zoom in. So this is a 12-game main slate. There are nine early games at 1 p.m. Eastern and three afternoon games after that. There are four games on this slate with totals higher than 47.5. These are the games that are going to be widely targeted, and, and the highest... Uh, two games on the slate. Seattle at Atlanta and Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Those are currently the two highest totals. The lowest total on the slate is a game that I think Joey and I will have a lot to say about. That'll be the New York Jets traveling to Buffalo, and that is currently sitting at 39 and a half. And you know, these are the teams that are going to be most looked at, the teams with the highest implied team total. So in order from first to fifth, Baltimore highest, San Francisco second, the Indianapolis Colts at third, New Orleans at fourth, and Seattle at fifth. Interestingly enough, Joey, nine out of the 12 games on the slate are division games. So, you know, I'll just let you take it from here. What stands out? What are the games that really are popping off the screen to you? Or maybe some games that you think Vegas could be wrong about, take it in whatever direction you want to. One of my favorite games and one of the games that everybody that plays DFS is going to be targeting this week is obviously the Seahawks and Falcons game. As you mentioned, they are tied for the highest total with 49 points. And these are two teams with average to below average defenses who don't 
excel in applying pressure to opposing quarterbacks. So we have the Falcons, a team that led the NFL in pass attempts last year by about 50 or 60 passing attempts. Um, Matt Ryan is a quarterback who threw more than 35 times in 11 out of the 15 games he played and only had one game all year where he threw the ball less than 30 times. And that was a game that he got injured in against the Rams. And it's just simple. All right. Falcons want to attack teams through the air. It's that simple. And then you got, then you have guys like Calvin Ridley who are 6,100. Matt Ryan is at a solid price of 6,700. Julio Jones, I would consider one of the best wide receiver plays on the slate is 7,700. And he's one of my favorite tournament plays. And then you look at the Seahawks side of the ball. The Seahawks want to let Russell Wilson cook, essentially. They want to let him turn up early in the game. As we've seen in previous seasons, they really only let him loose when they're losing or the t- or the game is tied going into the fourth quarter, which just makes no sense to me as he's a top three quarterback in the NFL. So this is just a game where it totally stands out on paper. Two average defenses with great offenses uh, in this game. Like I mentioned, it's going to carry ownership and the, these are some of the best plays on the slate. So I'm wary personally of the let Russ cook narrative just because like I don't understand why they would make this switch all of a sudden it's not like it's a new coaching staff it's not like they're bringing in some new offensive guru to switch (laughs) the direction of Russ Wilson's career what they've done has largely worked for them and I don't see them you know if they are winning in this game and they are favorites then why would you know they just all of a sudden let Russ sling it you know Chris Carson should be in line for a full workload. And if he's not, they've got a strong backup in Carlos Hyde to hammer late in the game. I don't know. I'm a little wary of this game in terms of pure, pure shootout potential. That being said, if the Falcons do get up, then, then we're in business. Then we're really slated for some fireworks, I think, if Russell Wilson is behind in this game at some point. You know, I, w- I would agree with you on that point, but I do project the Seahawks to win this game personally, and they are favorites on the road by three points as it stands right now. Or I think we can project the Seahawks getting out to an early lead and the Falcons having to pass to come back as the Falcons secondary is just abysmal. They lost Desmond Trufant. Their projected starters in the secondary are Kendall Sheffield, Isaiah Oliver, Darquise Denard, and AJ Terrell, the rookie that they drafted or overdrafted, I should say, in the 2020 NFL draft. So this is an easily exploitable matchup for Russell Wilson, and I would project for them to get off to a fast start against this Falcons defense. And then if that happens, then it's just fireworks. DFS fireworks and give me all of the uh, Atlanta Falcons pass catching options. Uh, And there's definitely somebody on the Falcons that I'm going to talk about during our tournament segment. Don't know if I would call him a pass catcher, but he is on the radar. We'll get to that a little bit later in the show. When I want to talk about slate specifics, the thing that I want to talk about is week one in general. And I made mention of it. It's like, this is a wildly unpredictable slate. And I think this year it might be even more unpredictable. One thing that I think I would encourage, and one thing I'm going to be cognizant of when building my lineups is not to go too hard on players that were projecting to be in new roles, new players in new roles, especially in cash games, right? It's like, it's just so unknown with the lack of preseason, with the lack of action that we've seen up to this point, a lot of it's pure speculation and we're going to be wrong. So when it comes to players that are going to be at high ownership, 
players that have never shown the ability to, you know, produce at a level that the expectations will be set at. I'm going to be fading those players largely, and I think that's a good way that we can transition into our second segment where we're going to talk about some chalk. And I think the absolute poster boy for this scenario is Antonio Gibson, Joey, who, you know, you informed me below uh, before the show was going to be stone chalk. I had seen some projections that implied that, but I kind of thought people were trolling. I thought it was a meme that people were actually going to play Antonio Gibson in cash week one. Can you tell me, uh, you know, that this is actually true and, and why people would do something so foolish? Yes, so unfortunately it is true across multiple projection websites they have him as, you know, either the first or the second highest owned running back. And I mean, I I've been on the Antonio Gibson fade train in best ball and redraft and now in DFS. I will say he is 4000 which is the floor for running backs in week one. I just can't safely project Antonio Gibson's touches. I just don't know how many touches they are going to give him in a backfield where they're probably going to play three or four running backs throughout the entire game. Now, does he have, you know, some upside? I I think he does because he is an electric player. And I think that's where a lot of people have, you know, this weird infatuation with him is that he is this electric player, but a wide receiver coming out, transitioning into a running back in one of the hardest off seasons for rookies ever. I just can't play him at 4,000 and we might get burned by this. I don't know, but I am just not playing him. If we do get burned, then so be it. And, and I'll take everything back that I said about Antonio Gibson. I know I got a lot of hate, hate for it, but I'm, I'm still on the fade Antonio Gibson train for 2020. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the easiest week one fade ever. I mean, let's at least let him prove that he can handle like 12 touches in an NFL game before we lock him in his stone chalk on in in cash games. You know, if he, if he was a sneaky GPP play, okay, I get it. But the Washington football team even said today that it is going to be a committee. So you're you're just like trying to trick yourself into thinking this is a better play than it is. And I think that it's going to be one of the biggest edges in week one is fading Antonio Gibson. Like I mentioned, a lot of people have this weird infatuation with him. And I just can't fathom playing a running back in a committee on one of the worst offenses in the NFL, albeit, you know, he's 4K. But if he gets you six, eight, maybe even 10 touches. I think 10 touches is at the top of his range of outcomes, his ceiling, I, w- I would say. I-, I just can't fathom playing him. So No, there are, there are five teams with totals under 20 on a slate that has 24 teams playing, and Washington is one of them. I will not be playing uh, a team with the third worst totals running back by committee. Anybody from that team. Going up against know. a very good uh, rush defense. I will add. Yes, that that too. It's not like the Eagles are, are some pushover type team, especially up front. And, and listen, this this kind of transitions well into a topic that I wanted to hit as we're talking about chalk. I mean, is there a potential problem here that four of the players that are projected to be the highest own on this slate are coming from a game with one of the lowest totals? Miles Sanders, Terry McLaurin, Deshaun Jackson, and Antonio Gibson are all projected to have extremely high ownership. And, you know, this is a game with a lot of injuries and a lot of a lot of reasons to fade, I think, as mm-hmm. a whole. So, 
you know, is this a potential mistake and is this a potential spot where we get off of some of these players in the attempt to be ahead of coming into our review podcast and being like, man, why did we just stack our lineups with guys from one of the worst games on the slate? Yeah, I mean, you make some very valid points and, you know, I, I will say we we differ on a lot of stuff when it comes to, you know, who we're going to play in DFS. And originally, like when I was researching the games I didn't think that there was a problem all you know besides Antonio Gibson because I do like Sanders I do like Terry McLaurin I do like Deshaun Jackson because their prices are are just so depressed that even in a low total game the opportunity or the opportunity those players have in their respective offenses mitigate any concerns for me but after hearing what you just said and what we've been talking about I, I think you can fade this game and not be killed in cash games for week one so I think this is a situation to monitor especially Miles Sanders honestly couldn't tell you if I'm going to play him week one or not especially if he has a touch limit that, that's just my thoughts on it Miles Sanders in one afternoon went from being basically the biggest slam dunk lock on the slate to being the biggest decision point I think mm-hmm. right because yep. he's clearly underpriced he's 6300 on a slate where you know the other elite running backs with similar touch projections are much more expensive he doesn't have a particularly difficult matchup yeah i mean washington's you know run defense may not be a complete pushover but he should have you know an absolute chance to smash mm-hmm. in this spot he had his best game of the season against the Washington football team, you know, 25 touches, six of those were receptions, 172 yards, two touchdowns, 38.2 DK points, Joey. But, you know, all of a sudden, Peterson's hinting that they might manage Sanders' workload in week one. And if they're ahead, like they should be in this game, because Washington is one of the worst franchises in the (laughs) NFL at this point, you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we see Boston Scott and Corey Clement come in in the fourth quarter and and they let Miles Sanders rest. So it's just a really difficult thing to project, I guess, coming into week one. And for that reason, I'll most likely be looking to get off of Miles Sanders in GPPs in terms of cash games. I think that his price is low enough that even with the concerns, he still comes out as a value. Yeah, I I, w- I think I would have to agree. You know, there is concern there, obviously. But if he can get 18 to 20 touches, even if that's his touch limit, and five or six of those are catches, then at 6,300, he still will be a complete value on this slate and in cash games. So I could see playing him in cash, but absolutely fading him in tournaments for week one. Let's talk about the two receivers, Terry McLaurin and Deshaun Jackson from the same game. Two of the guys who are going to be highest owned on this slate. I'll talk about Terry real quick because I think that he is good chalk. I'm willing to play Terry McLaurin at 5,600. I think he's a stud player that we can project to have an elite market share of this Washington team's targets. And I mean, he absolutely flamed the Eagles last year. Yes, it was wildly and unsustainably efficient what he was able to do. I mean, this man had 10 catches for 255 yards and two touchdowns across two games, the Eagles looked to, you know, increase their secondary. They acquired my boy Darius Slay. But look, I think Slay's a great corner, but 
his expertise is slowing down big body guys. Like he does best against guys like Julio, guys like AJ Green, those big bodies. Mm -hmm. That's his bag. He struggled and has traditionally struggled against those smaller, super fast, elite route runner types. Guys like Odell Beckham have torched him frequently in the past. And I think that Terry McLaurin at 5,600, the upside's just too high to even sweat match up. And, and I'm going to be playing him for sure in cash tournament, different strategy. I think that fading chalk is very you know profitable in week one, especially in tournaments. But I mean, cash games, Terry McLaurin is probably my favorite wide receiver play. Yeah. And I would have to agree with you on that. Um, in cash games, I mean, we've talked about it before, but essentially you just want to play the best plays and Terry McLaurin mm-hmm. in week one going up against an Eagle secondary that really has nobody besides Darius Slay, is one of the best matchups on the board for McLaurin, and he is the only wide receiver that will command targets. He's the only player, in my opinion, that will command targets in that Washington offense, and I would be surprised if he doesn't have at least 10 targets in this game against the Eagles in a game where they're projected to lose and they're projected to throw a lot. So I love Terry McLaurin. Uh, but in terms of Deshaun Jackson, who else you mentioned, I know we differ on this. So I'll say my side first and then you can rebuttal. But at 4.9K, going up against his former team. So we have the revenge narrative. Then we also have the Deshaun Jackson week one narrative where he absolutely pops off every single week one. Okay. Popped off against this same Washington team. Last season, week one, it was basically his only game of the year and absolutely obliterated their secondary, uh, going for eight catches for 154 yards, two touchdowns in a 38.4 DraftKings day. So tell me why you are fading him. I, I just want to know f- first, why are you fading Deshaun Jackson in week one? Are you, are you, you know, concerned about Greg Ward or JJ Ortega Whiteside? two absolute scrubs or what What are we talking about here what are we doing i wouldn't be surprised to see one of those guys out target deshaun no Jackson, shot no you. shot uh, and zach Ertz is 100 percent gonna out target him i would yeah. see i could see goddard being in his range miles sanders is gonna get targets like deshaun jackson's not a guy like terry mclaurin for example who is gonna command 20 plus percent you know market share of his team's targets you know for deshaun jackson there are just two many paths to failure he is a 33 year old one trick pony and this isn't going to be a a game that is running a ton of pass attempts this isn't going to be a situation that these teams are going to be playing super fast and let's be real jackson isn't going to get you that monster game off of like you know a 10 catch game no you're looking for a stat line something in the range of like you know six for 120 and one or two touchdowns if you're absolutely lucky but what if he doesn't catch that touchdown what if he just gives you five for 80 you know, to me, the range is just way too broad on a 33-year-old deep threat wide receiver on a team where I don't think that his role is clearly defined. And like, I think on the surface, he's a good play, but there's just better, safer wide receivers that I think you can get to in cash. And then you flip it over to GPPs where it's like, okay, now now I can see it. Like the floor doesn't bother me so much, but he's going to be 25, 30% owned. He's going to be one of the most owned wide receivers on the slate. No, thank you absolutely not. I'm, I'm not doing that. So 
it's just it's just a stone cold fade for me and it's one that I'm kind of afraid of because he could easily pop off as well but I just think that this is one of the process over results uh type situations where I think the process in fading him is strong and I'll just let the results be what they will yeah and I mean you make some solid points but at 4.9k and 8 for 50 game or whatever you said or a 5 for 80 game is still 13 points and that's still a solid game out of a 4.9k wide receiver who's most likely going to be your wide receiver three in your lineup all right I think that's what you're not understanding and this is a guy who still has upside albeit he might be an old man he might be 33 years old but all reports out of camp say are saying that he's completely healthy and he's still burning by the Eagles cornerbacks in training camp. This is a guy with elite track speed and can beat any cover cornerback one-on-one if given the opportunity. So I'll always take a chance on a guy like Deshaun Jackson, who is going to be the Eagles wide receiver one unless Rieger plays, which is looking like he might come back for week one. Uh, which is obviously a situation to monitor. Not going to get too deep into that because he's still questionable, but that could definitely limit DJX's production. But if he's out, there is nobody else in that offense that will have more targets besides Zach Ertz. And the Washington football team's biggest weakness on their defense is their secondary. This is an easily exploitable matchup, and Deshaun Jackson is a solid play at 4.9K. But I guess we'll agree to disagree on uh, DJX. Yes, we've got two more players to talk about in terms of chalk right here. And the first, uh, let's keep it at wide receiver. That's Devontae Adams. Joey, I cannot wait to play Devontae Adams this week. I just think that everything points in the right direction. No, Rodgers struggled heavily in both of his matchups with Minnesota last year. And even with Rodgers struggling to produce, Adams did not struggle whatsoever. In those two games, he averaged 12.5 targets, 10 receptions, 111 yards, and 23.6 DK points. And he did that without scoring a touchdown in either game. The disparity in pricing between Michael Thomas as the highest priced wide receiver at 9K and Devontae Adams all the way down at 7,300 has to be one of the worst mispricings on the slate. I think Adams is going to absolutely feast in this first game. Alan Lazard, MVS, you know, maybe they'll have a role, but Adams' role is completely secure. And, and this Viking secondary completely turned over their secondary. They lost Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, and Mackenzie Alexander. They're going to be playing just a slew of new players at the cornerback position. And Adams is, to me, you know, one of the better plays on the slate. Yeah, Adams is one of my favorite plays. I think it's a clear-cut misprice on DraftKings' part. Having him at 7300 I think he's easily an 85-8600 option this week. And he's continually torched the Vikings' defense, even with those cornerbacks that you mentioned last year. And I know you read off his stats, but absolutely torched them. And I would be absolutely shocked if he has a game under 10 targets in 2020. There is nobody Mm -hmm. else in the Packers wide receiver core or tight end core that will even 
command more than four targets a game. I know you're high on Lazard, and I'm not too high on him, but I think we can realistically project Alan Lazard to have like a four to six target projection, and Rod- and Rodgers is going to throw the ball 30, 35 times a game, so Devontae Adams should easily see 10, 11, 12 targets every single week, and when it comes down to it, Adams is just a great play, and 7.3K is too cheap for a guy who has a great floor slash ceiling combo like Adams does. So give me all the Devontae Adams this week. Absolutely. Let's keep it moving with some chalk. Josh Jacobs, Joey, one of the players mm-hmm. that I have been most down on, you know, yeah, called we him know. the worst pick you could make in the top two rounds of a fantasy draft, said he'd have no receiving upside whatsoever. He's stone chalk in week one. He'll be one of the most popular plays. And I'm all aboard, Joey. One of my favorite traditions, just completely switching vibes on a player, getting on the bandwagon when it's time, and I'm on the Josh Jacobs bandwagon. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he is probably a top two running back option, or I don't want to say probably. He is a top two running back option for week one. 6.8K on DraftKings, and this is a guy who we can realistically project to see around 18 to 24 touches, and although the Raiders are the away team in this matchup going up against Carolina, they're favored by three points currently. I'm just going to list off some stats. The Panthers ranked 32nd in rush defense in the NFL last season, and they were by far the worst run defense by every single metric not to mention they lost seven seven starters on the defensive side of the ball including Luke Keekley and Gerald McCoy and you know who they replaced them with a 2020 NFL draft where they only selected defensive players so you're inserting seven maybe eight rookies into the lineup on defense and they already had one of the worst run stopping groups on defense already Josh Jacobs is an absolute smash play and Josh Jacobs obviously has some concern I know why you were fading him was because you didn't believe he would be a three down back but I think Gruden and Mike Mayock want Jacobs to be their bell cow back who plays on all three downs and I think we could see that more in 2020 as they traded Lynn Bowden Jr. and cut Theo Riddick so there's only three running backs on the Raiders depth chart and Josh Jacobs is the clear alpha in that running back room first round pick so obviously great draft capital and he's just the absolute nuts this week so yeah yeah I I love Jacobs this week I don't see him getting less than 20 touches I think he you know, soars past that mark. He's got a chokehold on the goal line carries for that team. The total is rising, opened at 47. It's up to 47 and a half. They're favorites. Like you said, all the points about the defense, it's just going to be riddled with rookies in the shortest offseason of all time. There's nothing to really say about Josh Jacobs. He is great chalk and, and should be a staple in every cash game lineup. Great play this week. Uh, one of my favorite plays and he's going to be in my cash lineup and in my tournament lineups as well. Let's talk about the final piece of chalk that I think we really need to mention. And, you know, this can transition us into our next segment because I think that the two things are very intertwined. So going from chalk to cash game lineup construction, Christian McCaffrey, right? You know, obviously 
what is there to say? He's one of the best plays every single slate that he is available. He is 10K, by far the highest priced player on the slate. And Joey, <laughs> what do you think? Because I my initial lean is that when I'm looking at how I'm going to construct my cash game lineups, I think that there is just so much value in the mid-range in players that have immense floors and ceilings. You know, anywhere from, say, you know, Terry McLaurin at 5.6 all the way up to Josh Jacobs at 6.8. I think you can pretty much stick in that price range and fill out the majority of your lineup that way and just have a ton of, you know, floor and ceiling. Christian McCaffrey obviously has one of the best combinations of floor and slate-breaking ceiling of any player, but... You know, 10K is an expensive play and the value is not here in the way that it has been in week one's past. So what are you thinking about McCaffrey week one as it relates to cash games and just as a play in general? Yeah, I mean, as a play in general, he's the best play on the slate. Okay, mm-hmm. I think that's a that's enough said, like it's Christian McCaffrey. And I think we just have to look back to last season. And what is one thing that we did every single week in our cash lineups? We locked in Christian McCaffrey, didn't care about the matchup, you know, didn't care about whatever else was going on. CMC was just an auto lock last year, even at 10K. So I'm taking that same philosophy from last year and transitioning it into this year. I am locking in CMC into my cash game lineup, even though he is 10,000. This is a guy who averaged 31 DraftKings points last season i'll just say i don't know if i feel comfortable fading cmc like it it just makes me you know throw up in my mouth thinking about fading one of the best plays on the slate one of the best players in the nfl this is a dual threat running back what did he finish second in receptions as a running back last season on a team that is focused on getting him the ball and the Panthers confirmed that they have no intention of limiting his workload. Just, oh, I can't fathom not playing CMC. Although I will say, having a balanced lineup also looks to be optimal this week. So there's two sides here. There's two sides to every story. I just don't know if I can get to, I don't know if I can get to the other side. I don't know if I can get to the other page on the book because all I see is CMC on the first page. And I don't know if I want to take my eyes off of it. You catch my drift? You know, I like the picture you're painting for me. I don't know if I would want to turn that page either. But man, you know, I built a couple, (laughs) you know, cash lineups that are balanced. And I don't know if I want to click away. I don't know if I want to go down from Devontae Adams to Deshaun Jackson to squeeze him in there. I don't know if it's necessary because from a lineup construction standpoint this week in cash, is there a real reason to get away from, you know, the 6K range? Miles Sanders. Josh Jacobs, like we said, two two phenomenal cash plays. Joe Mixon, I think you can lock up 65 to 70 touches at running back without paying more than 7K at all three spots, including your flex. So I just don't know, Joey. I just don't know what the answer is this week in cash. It's a, It's more difficult than you would expect. I think usually week one's the cash build is extremely obvious because it becomes outdated within two weeks. This week, it's largely held up. And I don't, I just don't know where it leaves us. Yeah. And I'll say you, you will land on CMC if you play Antonio Gibson in one of your running back spots or in the flex spot. So I'll just throw that out there. But I think we made it pretty apparent that we're not going to go that route, which obviously makes it harder to plug CMC in. But I, I don't know if I could just fade him, especially 
with a quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater who averaged 6.0, so six yards per pass attempt last year, which ranked 37th in the NFL. This is a, so this is a quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater who doesn't throw the ball downfield and he is just going to pepper CMC and DJ Moore with targets. That is a fair point. He does have, you know, a very tight range of outcomes and it's all great. And, and this is a slate where that is valuable, I think. So it's going to be one of the biggest questions. I think a lot of people will probably lock him in, but they're also going to be making shaky plays to compensate for it. And I don't know if I'm willing to play Antonio Gibson or, you know, Deshaun Jackson to make that possible. Uh, frankly, I'm not, but I guess we'll see mm-hmm. how the week progresses the only other cash game lineup construction question that i want to ask you is do you think that there's any merit to paying up at tight end i feel like i know the answer because i've talked to you endlessly on this podcast i know how you feel about that but you know think about it like as we were talking about you know how shaky some of the eagles propositions are with sanders work potentially limited deshaun jackson you know i know that you're all about it but zach Ertz it should be the clear you know far and away the favorite to lead this team in targets he's only 5.8k and i like chris herndon he's going to be extremely popular as a pay down option for tight end but the bills were you know top three in terms of limiting tight ends chris herndon's on a terrible team with a terrible offense and the lowest total game of the slate i mean you know kittle's in a smash spot against arizona andrews is in a smash spot with baltimore and Ertz. i think is in a great spot to see 10 to 12 targets in his situation as well if you want exposure to both floor and ceiling at the tight end position you can get there this week yeah I mean, I agree that all of those guys are great plays, but obviously you have to factor in their price. So a guy like Kittle is 7.2K. I'm just not paying up that high for a tight end. I don't think it's optimal to pay up for tight ends in cash. It's just that simple. And I'll say tight ends have a very large range of outcomes, uh, very similar to defenses, but not as much, obviously. So I'm always going to try and find the cheaper tight end who may have, you know, like a six to seven target projection rather than play a guy like Kittle, who I just mentioned is 7.2K, but may have a target projection of eight to 10 targets. So that's just my philosophy on tight ends. In cash games, I I know that they are great plays, and I do love Zach Ertz at 5.8K this week. He will be Carson Wentz's number one option in the passing game by far ahead of DJX. So I love Zach Ertz, but I'm always going to look to pay down at tight end, especially with the plethora of options we have at tight end this week uh, with Hayden Hurst, who is 4.3K. Like you mentioned, Herndon is 3.3K. TJ Hawkinson, your boy, is 4,200. So these are all young tight ends who I believe have upside in their respective offenses, all at cheap price points. So I'd rather go there than pay up for a guy like uh, Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews, etc. I don't know how you feel about yeah, that. I, I, I feel the same, I think, because... You know, strictly for cash, though, and and I think we can transition here into our our tournament strategy segment here. And I think that Zach Ertz in particular is one of the best leverage plays on the slate because he gives you leverage off of the Miles Sanders chalk, the Deshaun Jackson chalk. And and I think that he gives you leverage and ownership just simply off the merit of paying up for tight end because that's not going to be a popular strategy this week. So in tournaments, uh, in terms of differentiation, 
I really do love Zach Ertz, and I, I like George Kittle quite a bit too. I mean, I guess we'll find out if the Arizona tight end funnel is still a thing in uh, 2020. But I mean, George Kittle is just set to absolutely dominate targets with Debo Samuel, highly questionable. Uh, you know, Brandon Ayuk, the main other option there, and just a plethora of randoms at wide receiver, Kendrick Bourne, Trent Taylor. No, Kittle's going to dominate targets. He's in what was the nut matchup last year, and his ownership shouldn't be too out of control. And he, he is a tight end, yes, but... I mean, is it really fair? Does that tell the whole story calling George Kittle or Mark Andrews tight ends? Like, I think it, I don't know. There's something else. They're hybrids. And I think that they have massive ceilings and in tournaments, especially, I think simply by paying up at that position, you're going to be differentiating yourself in GPPs. Yeah, you're definitely going to be contrarian to the field in tournaments if you pay up. I just don't know if it's even optimal in tournaments to pay up even though it is contrarian, because like I mentioned, there's just so much value at the tight end position, especially with all of these guys that are, you know, 4,500 and under, which allows you to pay up for players who have access to a higher ceiling at the running back and wide receiver position. I personally don't think it's optimal to even pay up for a guy like George Kittle in, you know, a tournament like the Millie Maker. I think it's more optimal to play a guy like Ian Thomas, who is 3,400, or a guy like Mike Gesicki, who is 4,500, and may have, you know, a smaller ceiling than George Kittle in the grand scheme of things. But at 4,500, if he scores you 20 points, that's going to be better than Kittle scoring you 25 at 7,200. So I'm always going to look to pay down at tight end, especially since the range of outcomes with tight ends in general are just so wide. Yeah, and that makes sense. And one of the reasons why it's optimal, just in case the listeners out there, you know, wondering why, why are tight end ranges so tied to that, it's because these guys are usually not dominating in targets. And mm-hmm. the things that make running back so projectable is like you can easily project targets and attempts. And what boosts tight end scoring is touchdowns, which which is the least projectable thing out there. So, you know, the tight end that catches two touchdowns or a touchdown and, and a couple, you know, big catches is going to blow up the slate. And, and a lot of those guys with the upside to do so are cheap. Hawkinson, uh, Kasicki, yep. Thomas, if that's your vibe. I think Jack Doyle quietly has a really large opportunity for targets. And he is below 3.5K if I'm not mistaken. Or no, I'm sorry. He's 3.6K on DraftKings. But even so, uh, that that's good tight end talk, Joey. What you know? What are you thinking for tournaments this week? What what kind of bag are you going to be in for this tournament strat? Yeah, I think we hinted at it earlier, and I talked about it in my video, which you can find on the DFS Dose YouTube channel. But I'm all in on the Bills this week. <laughs> all in. I'll say it. I'm all You've come in. A long way on this podcast. All in on Josh Allen. Josh Allen. Josh Allen. <laughs> Buffalo Bills starting quarterback. I'm all in on the Bills to Diggs and maybe even some John Brown action. They just have, in my opinion, the best matchup on the board going up against a secondary that has consisted of Bradley McDougal, Bless Austin, and two other scrubs. This is a team that traded away their best player in Jamal Adams to Seattle, who we didn't even mention in the, in the Seahawks talk, which is my bad. But yeah, they traded away Jamal Adams. CJ Mosley opted out. This is a team where their front seven is not that good. They do not get pressure on the quarterback. So I'm all in on targeting the Jets' weakness, 
which is their defense, and I think the Bills will easily drop 40 on their heads. So give me all of the Bills. Give me Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs and John Brown. I will say Stephon Diggs' price at 6400 I think that is a very fair price. And then John Brown's price is 5600 which I think is also a very good price. So you could stack them for relatively cheap and then get some upside in your lineup elsewhere. But I think their upsides are incredible, and they have realistic shot at reaching their respective ceilings. So Yes, and I won't go too in-depth because I believe and agree with everything that you just said. I will say when I'm stacking Josh Allen, who will be one of my favorite stacks and GPPs, I will almost certainly be either stacking him with Diggs or John Brown, not both, because I think that Josh Allen's path to GPP ceiling winning upside comes both on the ground and through Mm -hmm. the air. I don't know if he is going to put up a passing game sufficient enough to warrant, you know, the nut lineup having two of his wide receivers. I think that it comes from him having a successful day on the ground and maybe one of those guys popping off. So, you know, I think I'll probably play a couple lineups with Allen to Diggs, a couple lineups with Allen to Brown and and differentiate that way. Look, real quick on Allen, he scored nearly 65% of his career rushing touchdowns while the Bills have been playing ahead in games. He's not just scrambling to catch up so you know even if these guys blow the jets out of the water i think that he projects really well this they should be a pass funnel secondary is abysmal lock and load yeah and if people don't play him because they see this you know red number next to his salary where it says fifth and it's in red like you're just an absolute fish. He's one of the best plays on the slate at 6,500. He's in cash game consideration for me. He's one of my favorite tournament plays. And as you mentioned, he has rushing upside. He was number one in rushing touchdowns for quarterbacks last year. And he was number two in rushing yards for quarterbacks last year behind Lamar Jackson. So this is a guy with elite rushing upside. I'll say it. It's elite elite rushing upside you know he might not be the best passer out there but in year three if we can see him take another step I think he has some Millie maker winning upside and can win you your tournaments let me take us to another place an interesting place Mm. a place that also you know is where a quarterback is not the best passer but potentially has some some Millie making here we go I mean I know what I know who you're gonna say, and he's won somebody a million dollars before. More than once, Joe. twice. Let me let, let me let me get in my bag, Mitch Trubisky, aka Trash Bisky, <laughs> as he's been re- referred to on this podcast, is an absolute fire emoji GPP play. Lock and load him in DraftKings this week. Let me tell you why. Over the past two seasons, he's played three games against Matt Patricia's Lions. He did not throw less than three touchdowns in any of those games. Two of them were games that Matthew Stafford was not even putting pressure on the Bears to be responding. Stafford's back now. I'm bullish on this Lions offense, and I think that they could put Trubisky, aka Trash Biscuit, in a situation where he has to pass. David Montgomery, long shot to play. Maybe he plays, maybe he doesn't, but if he misses, that's even better for Trubisky's outlook as a passer. And the thing with this Lions defense, Joey, it's going to be god-awful. I don't know if people realize how awful it's going to be, especially at the start of the year while they wait for Jeff Okuda, the you know third overall pick in this year's draft, the cornerback out of Ohio State, to develop into the stud that he has the chance to become. In the meantime, though, 
I'm sorry, I don't care how great of a corner you were in college. You don't want to come into your first NFL game and be matched up with Allen Robinson. You just don't want it. And even if the Bears, uh, you know, are are moving Allen Robinson around, the only other corner worth noting there is Desmond Trufant, who was really on the decline as he closed out his time in Atlanta last year. So I I don't know. I think that this Lions defense is going to struggle to get pressure. I think Trubisky's going to come out and he has something to prove. He's like, all right, y'all thought Nick Foles was going to take this job? Big Dick Nick? No shot. I'm the Bears quarterback. I was picked over Patrick Mahomes. I deserve mm. it. I'm sick of hearing the trash talk. And he's going to just absolutely snap, Joey. I think Vegas has this game wrong. This game is going to soar past 43.5 which is what the total is right now i like both sides of this game trubisky to Allen robinson galladay is one of my favorite plays on the slate matthew stafford is is in play tj hawkinson marvin jones i want all aspects of this game i think it's all going to be low owned and contrarian and the upside is is everywhere in this game man i don't even know he he sucks he's not a good quarterback i guess there is, you know, some type of confidence there because Matt Nagy named him the starter over Nick Foles, a guy that they traded for and they have to pay $20 million to be their backup. Uh, so, so I guess he is an okay play. And, and I do like the stats, as you mentioned, you know, his uh, last three games against the Lions. I think that is promising. And I know we touched on it for a couple seconds, but he has won people a million dollars in the past. He has ceiling games in his range of outcomes, you know, some 30, 35 point games. I just, I just don't know if I can bring myself to hit draft player on Mitch Trubisky. I just don't know if I could do it. <laughs> I, it makes me sick to my stomach thinking about playing this absolute scrub. Now, maybe he proves everybody wrong this season and. He just becomes an elite quarterback. I don't think that's going to happen. This no, is- no, 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 no. He's trash. He's legit trash. He might be, you know, he wasn't ranked in my top 32 quarterbacks coming into the season. But that doesn't mean that he can't bank me a million week one against a, a Lions defense that I think is being undersold for how bad they're going to be to start the year. Yeah, uh, but I will, I, will, I will give one thing to the Lions is that Matt Patricia is essentially on the chopping block this year and I think he'll he's gonna have his team ready and motivated because if he doesn't that man is gone he's losing his job um especially after what two mediocre seasons as the head coach I mean you can't really help that Matt Stafford got hurt last year which is unfortunate but we're we're gonna have to see Matt Patricia win some games as the Lions head coach so I think they're motivated Although they do lack talent on the defensive side of the ball, I just don't know if I can hit draft player. I just, I don't. Uh, that is ugly. One of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. They should have cut him. Yeah, no, I agree. But they didn't, and we're here now. And real quick before we move on from this completely, you know, Kenny Galladay, I said he was one of my favorites. You said that he's underpriced. But just to put it in perspective, I mean, this man, Kenny Galladay, is the 14th highest priced wide receiver on the slate. And I can't tell you why. I thought that he was going to be stone chalk, and ownership projections are not putting him there. Maybe it's because, you know, the perceived tough matchup against Kyle Fuller and the Bears Look, I think Fuller is a pretty great cornerback, honestly. I think he's he's good, but Kenny G I'm not fading body Kenny Fuller. Ga- yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm not fading Kenny Galladay 
because of matchup when he is about, you know, one to 1.5k cheaper than he probably will be three weeks from now. So get it in while you can. He should not be priced below guys like Keenan Allen, DJ Chark, Tyler Locke, DJ Moore, Adam Thielen. I think that he's an absolute smash play with a high floor and an even higher ceiling. Touchdown ceiling is sky high. If Stafford comes out playing like he did before he got injured, Kenny Galladay is gonna gonna destroy the slate. Yeah, I, I love Kenny Galladay in week one, and he scored a touchdown in three out of his last four games against Chicago so obviously a lot of touchdown upside with the touchdown leader last season at wide receiver and like you said he is one of the best plays on the slate and severely underpriced at 6.2k so I will have a lot of exposure to Kenny Galladay and Matt Stafford in in this matchup and and in week one what else do you, you got anything else to talk about in this tournament segment here yeah, I mean, I, I like a lot of guys this week, and I know we talked about it for a couple seconds or a couple minutes, but week one is the most unpredictable week, so I think it's okay to to go off the walls a little bit and, and play some guys that you might not normally plug into your lineups. Like, the wide receiver range for week one is crazy. Like, I like Chris Godwin at 7.1K, especially if Mike Evans misses. I like Adam Thielen. I like DJ Moore right below him. I like A-Rob at 6,500. I like Diggs at 6,400. Chark at 6,300 stands out. So just don't be afraid to play any of these guys in tournaments. And I think there are some solid, cheap wide receivers that you could target as well, like Hollywood Brown, who's projected to be chalk, Deshaun Jackson, like we talked about. And then even if you want to take some stabs at Preston Williams or Robbie Anderson, I'm fine with that as well. So just don't don't be afraid to go off the walls in tournaments, especially in week one. You know, one way I think that you can capitalize on the unpredictability is spreading out your exposure into maybe, you know, say your bankroll for tournaments is like $60 or, or something like that. I don't know. I'm just using a number, but rather than play one $60 single entry, I, I would play $23 entries and, and just build around a core and get exposure to different guys. I want, I usually keep my exposures pretty thin across, you know, a few different lineups, but I think that I'm going to be making sure that I get strongly correlated lineups into many different tournaments. Mm-hmm you know, highlighting many different players because there are so many interesting plays and and plays that I think people are going to be overlooking. You know, there's going to be a lot of chalk in week one, and I'm going to be looking to differentiate the one guy that I do need to shout out before we get out of here. Look, the man's had a real tough week. Odell Beckham Jr. He stood out to me the second I opened this slate, Joey. Uh, 5,900 is just way too cheap for a guy who, you know, you could argue is a top five talent, top three talent at wide receiver in the NFL. Hell, top one talent. You could make the argument if you wanted to. Yes, targets could be, you know, questionable in this Browns offense. We don't know what it's going to look like necessarily under Stefanski. But if you just want to take a shot at Odell Beckham sub 6K, you know, as a player who can pop off at any moment in in a matchup that is not good, right? You know, Marlon Humphreys, has shit on him over the past mm. couple of matchups. He likes it too. He did like he it. Loved he loved it. Would like it. <laughs> 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 yes, I, I, honestly, all of that was just you know a long way of getting to that punchline. But but no cap though. I mean, he averaged thirty two yards per game in his last two meetings 
uh, you know, with the Browns against Marlon Humphreys. And I don't think that it matters. I think Odell has had a really difficult and annoying week on social media and he's just had enough and he's going to come out and show the people that he's not on that type of time. Mm. You know, he is the one who does the shitting on. He doesn't get shit on. Mm. Is that so? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not playing him, but I, li- I like your uh, I like your argument for him and I think the the biggest thing is that you're getting a top three wide receiver in terms of talent for under 6k on DraftKings. it's just the matchup is terrible but like we've been talking about anything can happen in week one and if the browns get down which obviously we will project for them to be down in this game against baltimore one of the best teams in the nfl they're gonna have to pass the ball to uh to catch up so I think that's just about everything. I mean, there are like a thousand players that we could talk about. Yeah, but, there's so know, many good plays, yo. It's crazy. Honestly. Um, and we'll talk about some players that we didn't quite get to in this podcast, both in Joey's uh, tournament video, which is already up on the YouTube channel. My cash video will be up tomorrow from when you're hearing this. It'll be up on Friday. And and yeah, I mean, look, week one is here. I, I'm so excited, Joey. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm very, very excited. I am going to win a million dollars this this weekend. Manifest it. Um, yeah, you gotta manifest what you want in life. It's called the law of attraction. Look it up if you don't know. But mm. just real quick, just want to give a bet to the listeners. I know we mentioned that at the beginning of the show, but a bet that I really like this week. If you can't guess, it's the Bills. Minus six and a half right now. I got them at minus six. I put $220 on them. I think it's an easy win. They're going to blow out the Jets at home uh, for all the reasons that I mentioned when talking about the bill stack. So if you're still listening, go and put your hard earned cash on the bills and just sail to the money. Yep. And, and I had two bets written down for this best bet segment. One of them is the one that you just said. I am in 100% agreement with you that the bills uh, minus six and a half is just a, a stone cold smash. They're going to obliterate the jets. I mean, they might win that game by 20. The other one, if you couldn't tell for me is going to be the over in the lions and bears game. You know, this is, is actually moving down. The total is moving down. It's opened at 44. It is currently at 43 and a half. It might sink lower. And I am just willing to bet that this thing gets a little bit crazier than people are thinking. So over on that, and we both are on the bills and that's going to be it for us. Uh, you know, Joey told you how you can support the podcast at the top of the show. Make sure you check out our Twitter where our pinned tweet is details for a $50 giveaway. You know, you want to increase your bankroll on DK or wherever you play by 50 bucks. All you got to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel and retweet our pinned tweet at the DFS dose. You can also follow our two personal Twitters. Mine is at Ben Hover, B-E-N-H-A-U-V-E-R. Joey, tell them where they can find you. You could find me on Twitter at Joey Carrion, D-F-S. Thank you guys. Let's all sail to the money and we will be back on Monday with our recap show.